Hello there and welcome to TWM, the weekly roundup programme of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media will not ask, right here at sfm.scot. Hello there, I'm John Cole and this week we catch up on what happened whilst we had a wee break. In dramatic news, Celtic won the Premiership. Okay, not so dramatic, but what about this? Partick Thistle achieved top six status for the first time ever. Now that's something we definitely should be talking about. Meanwhile, Pedro Caccini got so fed up naming his own team early, he cunningly decided to name the Aberdeen side too, ahead of Sunday's Dons Rangers match, and achieved Rangers' stated aim at the start of the season, 55 points that is. Meanwhile, the talk sport Scotia Society has once again gazed longingly at football north of the border and promptly wretched in horror as they witness Brendan Rodgers commit himself to Celtic for another four seasons. Has Brendan retired from top-class football, they ask? Perhaps they have a point. Two St Johnson players so bored with the game decided to switch sports and decided in a bit of Duran versus Leonard. The main bout took place later on at Easter Road as Duffy and Lennon relived the rumble in the jungle. And in the middle of all that, Ian Cathro has again been subjected to the shrill disapproval of the MSM Mafia, a club of which he is shamefully not a member. And as if that's not enough, David Moyes is in hot water for his remarks made to a female journalist in an interview. And Peter Lawwell is calling foul on Glasgow Council for failing to accommodate Celtic's business expansion plans. Where to start? I'll be talking about these matters and others with football journalist Phil Gordon, who writes for The Times, the non-sharp jump variety that is, the Sunday Herald, World Soccer and many others. I'll also be talking about a Dundee and Dunfermline legend from the 1960s, the great Hugh Robertson. But first of all, a quick round-up of the football, the stuff that's actually played on the pitch. And after last weekend's Premiership matches, <clears throat> the last before the split, the big story is Partick Thistle's achievement in achieving a top six spot with a home run against Motherwell, who are second bottom now on 29 points alongside Hamilton Ackies. Ackies drew 1-1 at home to Ross County, of course, uh, whilst Hearts recovered to some extent from their recent bad run with a 1-0 win against Dundee at Tynecastle. St Johnson, meanwhile, helped cast Inverness four points adrift at the bottom with a 3-0 away win, and Rangers surprisingly beat Aberdeen by the same score at Batodre to reduce the, the gap between second-place Duns and themselves to nine points. Aberdeen on 64 and Rangers on the Magicals 55. Celtic, who had secured the title last weekend at Tynecastle, dropped their fifth and sixth points of the season against Partick Thistle in midweek, but they beat Kilmarnock 3-1 on Saturday at Celtic Park. Meanwhile in the Championship, the return bout between Lennon and Duffy in the tail of the bank ended in a controversial 1-1 draw, as did the other top of the table clash between Dundee United and Falkirk. With four games left, Hibs are in 61 points, nine points ahead of the Bairns in second. Morton and Dundee United, both with one less game played, are on 50 and 48 points respectively. And congratulations are due to Livingston, who secured the League One title with a 2 one win against Aloe Athletic, making them uncatchable at the top.
By this time, most of you will have heard the recordings of David Moyes' You'll Get a Slap interview with the BBC's Vicky Sparks, and you'll have drawn your own conclusions. I must say that I find myself, uh, for once, on the side of the minority in this one. I'm not sure if the accusation is that he was threatening the reporter, a serious accusation, I think, and I find it hard to understand that that's what he was doing after hearing what Anne felt is the jocular tone of the exchange, or that he was guilty of sexism because he added the even if you were a woman rider to the remarks. I can't argue that there wasn't a casual sexism attached to that, but I find myself wondering if there's a mountain being made out of a molehill here. I may be misunderstanding the whole thing and I'm prepared to be enlightened. But I've met David Moyes on a few occasions, I've always found him to be pleasant, a very respectful guy, and I like him. And maybe I'm biased because of that, but whatever the rights and wrongs of it all, I do hope that it's resolved soon. And what about Lennon and Duffy? Now that they've both kissed and made up, I think it's probably best to leave the rhetoric aside and put it down to the tension involved in a vital match. However, that kind of aggression could well spark off similar behaviour amongst fans and the SFA should be sending the correct message to both managers. What are the odds that they will? Uh, No prizes for guessing what I think. Meanwhile, St Johnson have acted swiftly and with great dignity, I think, in the matter of the on-field punch-up between two of their own players, Danny Swanson and Richard Foster. The players have apologised genuinely and sincerely to the club and the fans, and they've both been fined four weeks' wages. The proceeds of the fines will be used to finance away travel by their fans to, uh, to obviously, away matches, and I hope they hear that in Leith and Greenock as well. And the Jags have made it to the top six. Alan Archibald's Partick Thistle have this week achieved what no other Thistle side have, staying in the top six of the Premiership after the split. The achievement is remarkable, especially for a side who suffer more than any other from the Celtic Rangers fan drain and who are constantly cast in the role of pantomime horse to the big two's Prince Charmings. Even more remarkable when you consider that their late rally included an unbeaten eight-game streak where they gained 18 points out of a possible 24. Remarkable too because a side which everyone had written off when they were bottom of the league just before Christmas kept that run of consistency going while others around them, try as they might, found it impossible. Alan Archibald's stock will have risen as a consequence. Some very impressive behind-the-scenes resilience and patience gave the manager time to address the shortcomings of his squad and establish themselves among the best. Hopefully that faith will be rewarded and the manager will seek to continue his job of building a true Thistle squad for the future. Our congratulations go to Archie and his players and well done Thistle. Phil Gordon is an internationally respected football journalist. His articles in World Football, in World Football magazine in fact, and in Germany's Kicker magazine are highly regarded as well-researched, informed and connected pieces. Phil's work appears closer to home in the pages of The Times, The Independent and The Sunday Herald. Having someone like this in the programme, I wanted to ask him about a lot of things, but given the recurring slight in our football by the intelligentsia at TalkSport Radio, I first asked him about his own view of where the game is at in Scotland. 
Phil, first of all, thanks for joining us today. Before anything else, though, and in view of the trolling of Scottish football by Talk Sport, is Brendan Rodgers really running away from top-class football by signing a new four-year contract with Celtic? Are we really a joke league up here? Well, I think you'll know, John, you're probably long enough in the, in the tooth to, to know that sometimes English opinions can be formed mistakenly, uh, not even in the sort of modern age, but certainly do you remember the Celtic and Leeds United being an, an obvious example where we were supposed to be a joke league then and uh, uh, back in the 1970 European Cup semi-final, the Celtic beat Leeds to the astonishment of the English media. And that has always been the case in terms of the the sort of perception of Scottish football that it's not up to scratch um, I think the stuff has become more derogatory in in recent years yeah. in terms of calling it a joke league now whether that's just the attention grabbing from either the sort of media outlets down south you know I don't uh, uh, obviously talk sport will be the, the ones who are desperate to try and add a, a, a few listeners uh, and coming up with these sort of polls is always the the way to to go around it, but the the idea that, that Brendan Rodgers would be uh, suddenly uh, shuttling off to a retirement home is uh, <laughs> um, actually since since my mum's in a in a care home with uh, with dementia, uh, if Brendan Rodgers is uh, taking out a retirement home, that's not a bad one to have. That's all I can say. Get, get, getting paid to do what he's doing right now, he's looking at his career long term. I think he said that himself, and well. He doesn't know how long he's going to be here. I think that's... He certainly maybe even changed his own perceptions in terms of what he likes about the job and what he has the potential to do at Celtic. And I, I think also the fact that uh, he would be looking at what he achieved at Liverpool and, and recognising... He, he said that himself last week. You only learn by your mistakes as well. And I think... Uh, yeah. As he said, he signed a four-year contract at Liverpool and he's out the door 18 months later, having come very, very close to to winning the title. But uh, the idea that, that we have a joke league here is, uh, well, it's about as credible as as Jason Cundy going for uh, UN ambassador. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's... Uh, neither of them are particularly credible. Um, the, the, the whole thing always has been, though, that... Uh, I mean, I've worked in England when I did... Um, Scottish teams won European trophies. Aberdeen did it in '83. Um, sorry, and Dundee United, sorry, got to the final in '87. And uh, on neither occasion were they given any kind of credit. Yeah. I think uh, Alex Ferguson was. <laughs> Alex Ferguson actually had a um, a great record at, at Aberdeen, uh, having sort of taken care of Bayern Munich and. Real Madrid on the, on the way to winning a trophy and yet when he came to Manchester United uh, it was very much oh no we can't really be going to that level of football for a manager of, yeah. of one of our biggest clubs Do you think that there's a that the, that there's a tendency to equate loads of money if you like with with, with quality and class where, where the, the correlation isn't always you know straightforward Yeah well that's Today's society, whether it's in whether it's in, in England or anywhere else in the world, it is based on money and and the perception of however much you get and however however much you can spend and and sort of flaunt your wealth is the dream for people. But that's not it isn't the case, and certainly in the football case, that's been clearly proven. It's uh, if the, if spending as much money 
as possible with with the case. I think, but certainly in Scotland, uh, Tory Andrew Flo broke that particular rule. You don't get yeah. sometimes you don't get for twelve million pounds what you think you were going to get. Uh, but obviously, England now has so much wealth. They're so far apart that you cannot even think of competing any longer. So, what they want to do with their money and how they want to spend their money in terms of players and all the rest of it. I think, actually, the rest of European football doesn't really now want to have... Although a lot of other European leagues are trying to go for TV deals that, that give some you know, sort of greater input to their clubs, nobody really wants to be competing with the English league. Of course, some, some of the wiser heads in Europe might be thinking that the, 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 the TV money in England is, is the greatest single point of failure that exists in the English game, though. Well, it is. I wrote something back in November after the, the Scotland-England game, uh, and I had been inspired by, by by what I had seen in the, the pages of World Soccer when they had sort of set out all the English squad lists, and it suddenly caught my eye, and I thought, there's not many English players in yeah. there. It, it was after they'd beaten Scotland, obviously, at Wembley, and you're thinking, you know, all right, here's the, the problems with your own game, potentially, but then you look through it, and, and you saw that clubs like, Manchester City and Chelsea and Arsenal, the, the ones at the very top, only had five, six English players in the squad. I'm talking, I'm not not in the team, in the squad, uh, and you know, so therefore the the world kind of it's a world stampede of of best players to the English league. But, well, well, it, it's, it's really only if it, only there for the benefit of the TV owners. That's not, yeah. it's not for the benefit of the of the game and and. English football is suffering in the same kind of problems that, that Scottish football, but it's just on a different scale. You know, if, uh, and in fact, to be brutally honest, at least Scottish football now has got its house in order financially, and one of the benefits from that has been the fact that we are being forced to produce our own players. Kilmarnock or Dunfermline used to pay out a lot of money for mm. uh, journeymen foreigners in the in the in the 1990s and then early 2000s. To be honest, the, the, the standard of domestic player that I see now filling jerseys in those teams is is much better. And uh, but but not paying 10 grand a week. You know that yeah. that was the problem. Dunfermline went to the brink because the chairman at the time followed a ridiculous spending policy. Well, we, we all know about that particular chairman and his spending yeah. policies and, and uh, how it affected the rest of Scottish football as well. But you hinted there about Scottish football getting its its house in order a wee bit. And, and I think the latest in the, the long line of Armageddon deniers must be Partick Thistle. Top exactly. six for for the first time. You must admit, Alan, Alan Archibald's that really came up in the rails there, didn't he? He has. Uh, I mean, I'm fortunate. This, uh, I've covered Partick Thistle a lot this season. They've not been a revelation to me simply because um, I have watched them since. I, I was impressed when Alan, Alan Archibald took over from uh, Jackie McNamara. He kept the football style right away, and you could see it built out. You know, just simply building from the back and all the rest of it. Um, and that was when they were still pursuing this uh, promotion place. So they've got up, they've established themselves um, what Brendan Rogers said last week about uh, Alan Archibald and Patrick Thistle being a, a sort of credit to the league, it wasn't false or anything like that, it yeah. was very much a, a genuine comment, but the fact is that, that Alan Archibald hasn't had huge f- funds, but but again Patrick Thistle 
won't go that way because they've been burned so badly. Mm. The, the fans and the people involved now with the club remember almost going out, going out of business. And uh, I was there on Saturday when they basically sealed the top six with a win over Motherwell. And uh, Al Archibald said later on that this was as much for the fans as anybody else that you know cause he'd played there for over like 400 games as a player and he knew what the background was like and he, he hated that they got looked upon as a joke club yeah. I suppose it's, in, it's in some ways a bit like Scottish football well there's no doubt that uh, he's now got them playing the right kind of football and uh, the only problem I, I, I have with this was uh, they just simply don't get enough people through the turnstiles right now. They had 4,000 there the other day, and to be honest, and that was on a sunny day. Yeah. Um, worthy of much more than that, to be honest. Well, we were actually talking about that earlier on, about the about the regard as somewhat as the, the pantomime horse, the Scottish Football Party Thistle, but, but yeah. in, in terms of the club itself, I mean, the, surely that's very significant for the fans. I mean, they do suffer from that Rangers-Celtic fan drain, if you like, I think, along yeah. with, with maybe Motherwell and St Mirren, you know, because of their proximity to Glasgow, uh, and this will obviously be in the middle of Glasgow, but but uh, I think that's really significant for the club. It is, but it's always been the case. I mean, I've been uh, certainly since even even when I, when I was at school, and I had quite a few friends that were Thistle fans and went all the time, and, and occasionally I'd, I'd go along, I'd go along with them, and, and my, my dad would take me to kind of all sorts of games, go to Dumbarton, with the, we would go and watch. Uh, Every or mother or anybody, and when you went to these grounds, you would suddenly see obviously uh, the big difference. You know, you get four or five thousand, even in the sort of 1970s, when mm. obviously when Celtic and Rangers came to town, the grounds were full with over 20. Uh, that's, I mean, I, when I covered Partick Thistle in the early 80s, uh, and that was a, a desperate period for the club, um, and very little money, and, and gates of about 1800 or whatever. So, you know, at that point, I think that was the uh, sort of peak of, of, of Thatcher's uh, economy, and I think that was when football suffered as much as the sort of country did, and obviously uh, the club came through the other end, and and they've got a nice stadium, and it's not a, a sort of patronising thing to say that, that, that people should support Party Thistle simply for, you know, being different to Celtic and Rangers, and I know some, some Thistle fans like that as a badge of honour, but I think as 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 the third team in the city in terms of the, the scale, I think they they deserve a lot more support on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, speaking to Ian Maxwell, the the general manager at Party Thistle, that he tries very very hard to get a couple of hundred increase on any given. You know, he he'll he'll know the the footfall on any given home game, comparing it to the previous month or the previous season. Yeah. Um, and uh, they have tried hard, but it's they could just they could do with uh, people having a look at them, and maybe that's because though they maybe just don't get the wider publicity, certainly on the screen. And I think that goes back to the fact that we don't really have a proper Scottish football broadcasting territory now. In terms of you know we, what, what we have is a BBC, and then you have satellite television. BT Sport are good. But I don't think Sky have done Scottish football justice, and I don't really, and I think that's part of the problem that, that, that these teams don't really get. They don't even get their 15 minutes worth of fame. Yeah. They're lucky if it's five, and, and and often it's the joke thing, and that and that's and that's the worst thing about it. You know, it's uh, you know, Al Archibald may not get his team on the uh, team on the television for the good football they play, but you know, if they stick a mascot up. up 
front then <laughs> that but they do you know and that that shouldn't be what it is about but um, he's obviously he's fighting a similar battle that other people have have done at Partick this over the years well maybe now that they're in the top six people will start to take them a wee bit more seriously and they'll get more than their, their 15 minutes or, or or whatever from my point of view I, th- I think it's a wonderful thing I also think that uh, that, that Pedro Cachinha uh, coming into the Scotland game is is a wee bit of a breath of fresh air as well he, he, he seems to be very eccentric he seems to be a bit of a character but he, he, he got a lot of criticism from the football fraternity because he announced his own team 24 hours earlier last week and then picking the, the Aberdeen side as well we have a flurry of publicity surrounding that I think it might be a bit of gamesmanship but, it, but it's hardly disrespectful is it? No it's probably not disrespectful I think most managers would know that uh, what the opposition team is and, if, and particularly if he is just in in the country I know from speaking to a couple of other managers when they move to a different place the first thing that they do is they spend ages getting up to speed with with opponents sometimes you can be more in tune with with what your opponent's teams look like than your own simply because you're you're thinking down the line in terms of what you're going to do when you're when you're going to play them yeah. um Aberdeen though would hardly have presented a huge shock in terms in terms of the the the, the, the team yeah. lineup but uh, um, he's obviously, yeah, as you say, a breath of fresh air. Everybody who comes in the door gets a bit of uh, sort of credibility for a while because obviously that's a, nobody's uh, got anything negative to say that way. I think obviously if he's upset people by naming the team, then, then that's one thing. But uh, it didn't really matter because at the, at the end of the day, he's, the, the proof was in, was in the result, and and that's that's. All he'll be doing. He certainly he's confident, and I don't. But I don't think you would be a football manager if you didn't have that degree of confidence. And I think uh, it's one of these things that sometimes doesn't translate particularly well. English is certainly not not a struggle for him, and not an issue. And I don't think there'll be there'll be any kind of like full pass when he's when he's saying things. Um, certainly, Doctor uh, Joseph Engloss was. Sort of hammered a bit for that in his time, but but the media has changed a lot since then. But so too has the way that the managers deal with press conferences. You think there's a, a kind of there's a kind of cultural thing as well, isn't there? I mean, you know, I mean, I agree with you. His command of English is excellent, but but he's coming into a completely different culture. I think you could probably say the same thing about Ian Cathro, who's been away for the Scottish game for so long. Yeah, and you know, I, I think he's been he's been criticised very unfairly, but 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 he seems to be a wee bit ill at ease with the press. If he's come with the the perception of being an outsider. Which he is obviously simply yeah. because, although he be, he began um, at Dundee United and and, and the youth set up, I think uh, once you go away for a bit um, and, and achieve even a sort of relative degree of progress, which he certainly did in Spain and in Newcastle, I, th- I think uh, that can be a double-edged sword. It's one of those things that uh, you know we we would happily sort of uh, trumpet somebody's. Uh, Achievements if they were away from home, and then it's the, the minute they get back home, it's yeah. a, they get a label. I have to say, my dealings with Ian Cathro are limited, but I actually have done a couple of these games. Um, you know, they beat Comarnock just on, uh, on on Boxing Day with a you know four-one win, and and then I think he had a sticky period after that for a, for a couple of months, and obviously people were asking questions. But he was he was there. I, I covered the 
the Hearts Celtic game uh, at Tiny Castle last week, and and he spoke again. And I, th- you know, I found his stuff fine. I I understood what he meant about the game in terms of, well, the the game with Celtic had gone. It wasn't really the important thing. The important thing was uh, the game they had at St Johnson a few days later, uh, which ironically they lost. Yeah. But obviously the the issues that in terms of the, the sort of perception that was being put out of him was that he was you know, handling it as as well as, as other people wanted him to. But the fact is, if every manager, it doesn't matter, top or bottom, will, will suffer by results. And it's uh, yeah. and although he's obviously a long-term project by the by the Hearts board, um, I'm sure you know they will want to be better than they are right now. Um, but sometimes all that takes is about three or four wins back to back, and and he's been he's back in favour again, yeah. And exactly, everybody changes the opinion again. Well, from the inexperience in Scottish football of Ian Cathro and Pedro Cachinha, two two guys who probably should know better, uh, uh, <coughs> Neil Lennon and Jim Duffy. Uh, thinking about the, the the two punch ups and inverted commas that, uh, that that we had last weekend, you, you think it's fair to compare the Lennon and Duffy situation with the with the Swanson versus Foster situation? Uh, and I'm also mindful of the fact that Swanson and Foster, uh, Foster get fined very heavily by their club, and I, I thought St Johnson dealt with the whole thing remarkably well. But do you think the same sanctions should perhaps apply to to Lenny and Duff? Well, I'm kind of in the fortunate position. Uh, one of the few people who actually saw the first the St Johnson one. I was there covering the game at Hamilton, and uh, although it didn't, it wasn't caught on the TV. Although I didn't see the initial bit that then led to the fight between the two, they were on the pitch. You know, even fleetingly, they were in good old-fashioned scrapping terms. Well, it's certainly easier for in terms of the club uh, to to go down the line of of. Uh, punishing the players by by fining them because it is, a, it is a breach of contract I think they've done the right thing in terms of m- maximising at St Johnson I've got a lot of time for St Johnson Danny Swanson as well had, you know, he, he wasn't just a, if it had been somebody else but Danny Swanson has, has been their go-to player all season he's yeah, been somebody okay, that yeah. has impressed me so much and certainly was worthy of a, a call up to the Scotland squad but I think uh, the, the players um we're definitely being pushed towards the, the the fine punishment simply because that's what the that's what was there. It was easier to to simply handle it that way. Yeah. Um, they obviously then the comparison comes in because of um, you know Jim Duffy and Neil Lennon's thing. Um, having not I, I'd covered the Hibs game the week before. I, I missed the Wednesday night one, and obviously <laughs> must have been. I was maybe fortunate. What I did see on the television was um, knowing both uh, both managers um, and and Jim Duffy from back in his in his young days. I didn't think that the whole bust up was as bad as it is as, as being portrayed, um, and I think it's as much it looks worse because everybody rushes in. And that includes obviously the modern backroom staff and all the rest of it. I do look at it again, and I and I quite wonder how all the away dugout gets over to the home dugout, um, and obviously includes players as well. I'm sure Neil Lennon didn't want to be doing that either. He was he wants to turn the page as much as anything else, and hmm. the the image that he's got, but he, but he was you know all of a sudden dragged back into it. You know, that is the old sort of knee jerk 
perceptions that are put out, and uh, he's one of the people that uh, sort of never really seems to get judged on the basis of what he does on a simple, you know, it's always something that's dragged up with relation to the past or what's happened to him in the past. Well, he's certainly, he's, he's certainly worth a lot of column inches, Neil Lennon, isn't he? Well, that's it. He's never, he's never been short of that. It's, uh, you know, when he was a player, he was, uh, he was, he got it. And I, I, I certainly remember writing one piece for the Times in 2005 in terms of what he was having to put up with as a player. I kind of said that at the time that he was written about in a way that wouldn't, wouldn't apply if, if he belonged, if his name belonged in the news pages. Basically, the same lack of, uh, the same lack of care in terms of, what had happened to him and I think uh, he got tired of that and obviously once he was Celtic manager I think that became more of a uh, more of an issue yeah. for him Well we'll wait to see what the uh, what the compliance officer says because I, because from, from what I hear that, that both of them are up on uh, on charges if that's the correct word uh, with the SFA yeah. and, and we'll see what happens there but another guy who's uh, another ex-Celtic player uh, who's a manager who's who's been in a lot of trouble this week is David Moyes I mean apart from the problems he's got uh, with Sunderland at the, at the foot of the table um uh, where are you in this whole Moisegate thing? I mean, cards on the table for me. I, I I thought it was a bit sexist to use the even if you're a woman thing, but I genuinely heard that as a bit of fun, and I'm definitely in the minority as far as the media are concerned. Well, yeah, the problem again is that I would have to declare an interest in terms of David Moyes simply because I've known him a long while in terms mm. of his. Um, I, I've known him back since he was Chelsea youth player, and I've dealt with him both as a as a player and a manager over the over the years and he was always very helpful very helpful when he was at Everton but obviously David has got a a situation where you know the everything now um, in terms of the broadcast media is obviously there's more of an audience now than it ever used to be and press conferences used to be a much Simpler thing, you know. Things were things were said and done that I've read and seen uh, in the in the eighties and nineties uh, by by managers, whether it was public or or even just down the corridor and having a word in somebody else's ear. Yeah. Uh, that they, they wouldn't that that wouldn't go on now, and obviously because uh, it it would end up uh, very quickly on a, on a phone and 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 put it out there. I mean, obviously, David boys foolish to say what he said to the journalist and I think I know that uh, there are plenty of women journalists in football who because uh, there are quite a few in Scotland now um, and I think that they would have taken offence at the way it was said um, the problem is that if, if what he's saying is obviously meant just simply to be a bit of a joke, and I, th- I agree that's with you that uh, that that's possibly what he was uh, trying to do. Um, it's obviously it's fallen foul, and, and I think that's a case of uh, uh, you know that's when you try and make your apology and you explain to whoever it is whether it's whether it's privately yeah. or whether it's publicly as he had to as he had to do with the club, and you then just try and move on. But but as I say, I, I do know having spoken to. Uh, a couple of women journalists in Scotland, in terms of the, who follow foot, cover football, that uh, that they felt uh, put out by it, and it's one of these things that none of us is perfect. And I think yeah. uh, as long as we all accept that and just try to 
sort of uh, basically apologise for anything that we've never done correctly. I think it, you know, I suppose from my point of view as well, but you know, because I'm not a woman, uh, then and it's very yeah. easy to disregard things, uh, you know, if you yeah. if you're not at the the sharp end of a stick, uh, and and I'm certainly not as as, as a guy, I, I'm I'm not in this case, so I respect that you know the women journalists' opinion on it. It's just that that I'm struggling very hard to find what was so offensive about it. Yeah. I thought there was a wee bit of casual sexism in that, you know, even if you are a woman, but but I really thought it, that that it was a joke. But having said that, I'm willing to be enlightened you know as far as that's concerned and, and perhaps maybe that would be something that would be uh, a good idea for us to try and get a women journalist on here as well to, mm-hmm. to, to give their perspective on that but where from your point of view um, you know given the fact that over the past five years six years in Scotland then we were we were threatened with Armageddon by the SFA you know you know over the over the whole Rangers thing it really hasn't worked out like that Scottish football has got its it, itself in order from my perspective Anyway, would you agree that we're we're in a better place now that, than we were in two thousand and twelve, two thousand and eleven? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's having had the benefit of uh, covering a lot of clubs, and I know people just think, um, you know, all I would ever see is Celtic and Rangers and Scotland. That's certainly not been the case over the last few years, and it never really was the case when I was a, a kid either, or even when I was. When I was a student, you know, I would, I would go and watch the likes of, in the 80s, I would go and watch St Mirren when they played home games in Europe, even though I have no connection to Paisley or anything yeah. like that. And the fact is, St Mirren are a good example. You know, over the over the last few years since Alan Geddon kicked in, they've been one of the teams to win a trophy. It might have come at the expense of their, their, their premier status, but that's what football is all about. Yeah. Um, and I was there in 2014 covering the, the, the playoffs when the Hibs... Hibs lost and went down, but it wasn't just the Hibs lost, it was the fact that Hamilton seized their own destiny that day at Easter yeah. Road in a quite, quite brilliant fashion. And these games, you know, to be honest, if, if these games had been put on the, um, on a wider screen uh, to a bigger audience, people would be saying, you know, that's quite a league. I wish I was watching that a lot more often. Yeah. So the fact is, the, the Armageddon thing... If the financial stuff, uh, well, that was all foolishly said in the first place, and uh, it shouldn't have been said. Um, and I'm sure the person that came up with his Armageddon phrase must be wishing he hasn't, because every time... Can you think a, who that was? There's obviously, uh, every time there's a positive thing that people can find. Now, you know, it's good to be able to say that, uh, well, hold on. You know, there you go. And, and we have... Hibs selling out, Hibs and Dundee United will, will be selling out games um, this season, even though the, the game is on, still broadcast live on, yeah. uh, on BT Sport uh, in the middle of the winter time. Um, you know, it's, it has a healthiness. There are certainly, there are clubs that, um, I, I, I do wish that there are a few clubs, um, you know, that they, they got some more people through the through the gates St Johnson would certainly be one of them Partick Thistle obviously um, but in terms of the percentage of population um, Scottish football has always punched above its weight in terms of the number of people it got through the turnstiles um, it just has never had and I mean never had the, uh, the, the, the publicity it's certainly never had any kind of uh, sort of wider uh, screening to an audience and uh, 
But I think uh, the idea that, that Rangers going into to liquidation in 2012 meant everything else had to change was wrong. And obviously, I, I, and I think uh, there was quite a there was quite a good uh, blog uh, written by a, a young guy a couple of months ago. Um, I think he was a Morton fan, and he, uh, he had pointed out the fact that. Uh, you know, Scottish football thrived in many ways simply because all of the other teams that had produced good performances in cup competitions. And I, I kind of looked it up and I pointed it out to, uh, to a colleague in Germany at Kicker because he had asked me about to write something about the Scottish game and whether people were, as he thought, you know, bored with the the sort of one horse race with with Celtic. And I pointed out to him that um, I think it had been since since. 2012 or whatever that four or five different teams have won the Scottish Cup and yeah. uh, that was more than Germany I pointed out to him so I, I, I was trying to sort of not just put it in the context of Scotland versus England which I think is how we always uh, see ourselves mm-hmm. placed but uh, you know the Bundesliga would have loved it if uh, the German Cup which is a big competition over there had managed to claim as many different winners as the Scottish Cup so I, de- I definitely feel we've got uh, pl- plenty to offer. I think the I think that there are a lot of the fans across the country. You know, whether it's Dundee or Aberdeen or, or Edinburgh, and I, and I get the, the privilege of going to cover games and sort of derbies in these places, and you see how much the, those kind of games mean to them. But they they all follow their clubs passionately, and I think uh, they, they've got sort of good reasons. But the fact is, you can't always get good reasons. And you know, and Inverness are a good example. You know, a couple of years ago they were winning the cup, and they must have thought, "There you go, life can't get any sweeter." But right now they're they're struggling. But that's that is the nature of football. One has to suffer while somebody else is, th- is thriving. And I think that's that's why we that's why we like sport. And I think even in the, the from an Inverness point of view, I remember one of the, uh, our Inverness contributors on SFM saying at the time when they won the cup, you know, we could get relegated next year, but I don't care. And yeah. and, oh, and that kind oh, of positivity is, uh, is is I think what you're talking about. And on that positive note, I'd just like to thank you, Phil, for for coming on and uh, sharing some of your thoughts with us today. And uh, I hope you'll do it again sometime. You're welcome, John. And now, just before we go, another blast from the past. Hugh Robertson is another of those magical names from my own past. A member of the the Lee Championship were inside in 1962, alongside the likes of Alex Hamilton, Ian Ewer and Alan Gulzeen, and also a member of the formidable Dunfermline side of the late 60s, a team which boasted the likes of the Callaghan brothers, John Happy Lynn, Roy Barry and Alec Ferguson. He's a player who scared the life out of this young Celtic fan with his pace, his directness and his thick mane of black wavy hair which reminded me of every baddie in every western I ever devoured. Hugh was born in Knockinleck on 29th of November 1939, wee Louie as he was known in a fleck, played for the famous local junior side before being tied up by Willie Thornton's Dundee in 1957. He established himself in the side the following year after scoring a goal in his debut, a 5-0 home win against Partick Thistle and that was on the 16th of November 1957. 
After Bob Shankly succeeded Thornton, who went to Partick Thistle as manager in 1959, Hugh became an integral part of the legendary D's side that won the championship under Shankly in 62. The following season, after the championship win, Hugh scored one goal against Cologne at Dens in four appearances in the European Cup, as Dundee reached the semi-finals of that competition, succumbing in the semi-finals to AC Milan, where Hugh was out for both games due to injury. He also featured in the 1964 Scottish Cup final, where Dundee lost 3-1 to Scott Simon's Rangers side, who were then at the height of its powers. In 1965, following the departure of Jackie Sinclair to Leicester City, then family manager Willie Cunningham signed Hugh as his replacement. Immediately, he was involved in Fierce Cup duties with the Pars and again reached the latter stages of that tournament, this time the quarter-finals. Under another new manager, this time George Farham, Hugh played in the 1968 Scottish Cup final, this time starring in a great attacking display for the Pars against Hearts and bagging a winner's medal in a 3-1 victory. My main memory of him was in a match in November 1966 at East End Park. Hugh gave Tommy Gemmell playing it right back for Celtic that day a terrible time of it. His pace and trickery in a pitch that resembled a bog was the main reason that Dunfermline went in a 2-0, then a 3-1, then a 4-2 lead. Most people will remember the famous Ryan Giggs goal in the FA Cup final against a semi-final, sorry, against Arsenal. I'd already witnessed that goal. Hugh Robertson scored it that day against Celtic in the 31st minute of that match. He took the ball for the halfway line, skipped past a couple of Celtic players wide on the left, skinned Tommy Gemmell, cut inside and just launched the ball into the roof of the net. Wonderful goal, although I probably didn't feel like that at the time. Hugh left Dunfermline in 1971 to play for Arbroath and he stayed there until 1973 when he retired at the age of 34. He played 292 games for Dundee, scoring 61 goals, played 172 times for Dunfermline, hitting the net on 49 occasions and he had 40 appearances and 5 goals for the Red Lifties. He gained one international cap against Czechoslovakia in a World Cup qualifier in 1962 where he laid on both of Scotland's goals scored by Ian St John in a 4-2 defeat. His competition for a cap was severe though. He was up against Alex Scott of Everton, David Wilson and Willie Johnson of Rangers and John Hughes of Celtic and he never got another full cap after that game. Despite that impressive list, with league and cup matches and European success to boot, Hugh features in neither the DFC nor the Dunfermline Athletics Hall of Fame. A great pity. Hugh went on to try management after stints at coaching with her both and Dundee. The call came from Danish side Herfolge and Hugh took them from the third to the first divisions of the Danish league before returning to Scotland and opening a pub in Dundee. He returned to his native Ayrshire in 1989 to run the Royal Hotel in Dalry and he remained there and in fact died there, sitting in his favourite armchair on the 12th of March 2010. Hugh Robertson was 71. Hugh's another of those wonderful players from the golden era of Scottish football who's forgotten by the mainstream media, and it's such a pity uh, that they have chosen to do so. The self-serving media care nothing for a story that doesn't add to their bottom line, of course, so their selective memory is to be expected, and it probably will never be repaired. I hope that the memory lapses in the part of Dundee and Dunfermline can be in the case of Wheelie 
he deserves a lot better. Well, that's about it for this week. Thanks to Phil Gordon for his entertaining and informative contribution to the programme. Thanks to Hugh Robertson for the memories. And our thanks to you for being at one once again with TWM at sfm.scot. I've been John Cole. See you next time.